Excellence Expected, the inspirational business advice podcast. Hello and welcome to Excellence Expected. My name is Mark Asquith. This week features a guest for whom I have the utmost respect. A business person who has left a lifetime career in order to pursue a passion, a dream, and has pursued that passion with great success over the last three years. With me today is Mr. Simon Hickton. Welcome, sir. Thank you. Tell us a little about your business, Simon. What, what does it do? What is it? What's the name of it? And how long have you been trading? Cornerstones Education uh, is an educational company. Uh, we've been uh, we were founded in 2010, uh, but we've been trading really for just over three years, and uh, we sell curriculums into schools and other products, uh, trying to uh, inspire children and uh, teachers uh, in their learning and to uh, succeed. That's quite a challenge, I guess. It's people are. Teachers, I would imagine, are a very busy lot, so they probably don't have that much time to listen to new businesses that are out there, specifically trying to sell them things. Is that, uh, I guess that's a challenge that you face probably most days? Definitely, that's one of our key uh, selling points, is the fact that uh, our products are designed by teachers, for teachers, with that saving time in mind, so that they can get on with what they're good at in the classroom. Okay, yeah, that, that makes sense. I can see how that, that would certainly open doors for you. And just before we get to Cornerstones on the whole and talk about the products, the services, and a little bit more in depth about the plans for the future, what, what is your background? Where did you come from? What, what have you been doing over the last 10, 15 years? Well, it used to make people laugh when I first went into teaching because most teachers have gone to uh, teacher training college or uh, often they've studied the arts or literature. And I was uh, biochemist. A biochemist? A biochemist. Well, I did not know that. We've known each other for a while and I did, <laughs> I did not know that. So it was a, a degree I got at York University, biochemistry, uh, but it didn't grab me at all and there's no way I want to spend my uh, my years researching or in a lab. Uh, teaching and working with children had always interests me. Uh, so I set my goal of uh, becoming a head teacher. Uh, obviously first to become a teacher to get trained so I got trained up at Newcastle for a year at PGCE and then moved on to uh, uh, my first post as a teacher and then I was fortunate enough to progress through the ranks uh, to become a head teacher about 10 years ago. That's amazing so you were about how long were you a biochemist for? Just to I was trained as a biochemist so that was my degree. Ah so, so you did the degree and then a, didn't pursue it career wise, right? Okay. Yeah, that makes right. sense. Wow, bloody hell, that's a diversification. Yes. <laughs> I can't believe in all the times we've chatted that's never come up. Never come up. That's amazing. That's stunning. All right, so you went through the ranks and became a head teacher. And what, you know, how long did you serve as a head teacher and what, what challenges did you face in that role that made you start considering setting something else up? Was it a natural progression or as a head teacher, the number of roles that you actually do is phenomenal. Uh, from social worker to business manager, obviously teacher to janitor to absolutely anything you do. And doing that role for 10 years, uh, that had been my goal when I started out on the career. And I started to think about, well, what next? Uh, somebody who always likes that, that next challenge. I was thinking, well, what, what is the 
after this. Uh, schools were becoming more, uh, I always used to use the phrase that we're not a business, but we have to be business-like. Schools aren't a business, uh, but they have to operate more and more like that now. Uh, and so having uh, a father who was uh, a businessman as well, I saw that side and it was sort of trying to amalgamate them round so they all fit uh, fit together and to find something, a niche for me, once I felt head chip, yes, I've done that now. So is it? I guess it's a case of you got the best you could possibly be at being a head teacher and I don't know where the head teachers go after after they've been a head teacher. What's the typical path for someone like that? Often they go and some become inspectors or they leave and work for the local authority, but that never interested me. I always saw uh, Ofsted as a bit of the dark side and didn't want to join the dark side, so I stayed uh, as a head. Uh, and But I, I always thought, well, what next? And I'd, I'd envisaged uh, when I started out possibly running two, three, four schools uh, as a head or an executive head but I passed up that opportunity when I was offered it because I did think that that you became too removed from the core role of a head within a school and the impact you can have uh, so that's when I started thinking more about consultancy uh, etc so my first dabble in self-employment uh, was when I spoke to my governors and said rather than keeping me here with pay increases and costing the school and in essence the children uh, it, why don't you just give me a little bit of time and flexibility so I can do some consultancy and so I dipped my toe into uh, into that and I quite enjoyed doing bits of that and that just opened my mind a little bit more about what possibly I could do and what was out there. That's quite interesting. So it was it was a conscious decision to move from being a head teacher into something that not only gave you a little bit more flexibility and freedom, but also gave you a chance to do something that you were passionate about in less of a restricted role. I guess is that is that a sort of a fair assessment of that? That's very much a key. Uh, I think as a head teacher, it can become all-consuming, and with you've got to get that balance of what you want for your lifestyle and then balance that up with what you need, what responsibilities you've got, uh, and balance that up with the key there, what's your passions? What's your, finding uh, Ken Robinson will talk about the element, uh, which is absolutely, for me, crucial, is finding where your, your own natural abilities lie, but where that can be aligned to a passion, and also where you feel you're not doing a job you're playing. I think that's such a valuable opinion and such a good way to look at things because I think for a lot of people that are in employment regardless of the industry whether it's teaching whether it's an office work whether it's an administration role a plumber a plasterer whatever that may be if you feel like you're turning up to a job you almost resent it it's it's a very difficult thing to enjoy what you do isn't it it's tough to get into that mindset I agree that to uh, with that totally uh, you see it through children uh, and part of what we do as a business is we try and enable teachers to enable children to find the passions uh, through a creative curriculum what we're trying to uh, what I was trying to do was maintain something that I enjoyed doing love doing and then can you turn that into actually being profitable as well to either maintain or enhance your lifestyle and your responsibilities that you have it's becoming more of a trend that isn't it in that you see even when I was sort of leaving education I went through school went through college and it was never 
advisors around me never told me to find something that I enjoyed doing, get very good at it, and then figure out how to make money doing it. But you see that more and more all the time. Well, I was, uh, that's why probably I ended up doing uh, biochemistry because it was the sciences. You advise, do the sciences. If you do the sciences, you'll get a job. Uh, whereas now I would certainly, uh, I've got three sons myself and I would advise them, find what you're passionate about. Find out what you're good at, you enjoy doing, and then work out how you can make that work for you. And like you say, uh, Mark, I think more and more people are seeing that now. And they're thinking that's the way to go. So many people in schools were said, oh, you're good at art, but that's not important. That's got to be wrong. You've got to be saying, you're good at art, so how can you turn that to earn you a living, to work for you, and to get you the lifestyle that you want? Some people's lifestyle doesn't need a massive amount of money to, to be happy. Mm. Other people's, yes, they're like the lifestyle that they aspire to would need more. So they've got to look at, well, what talents have I got? How can I get there? What, what return do I need for that? I think it's one of those, well, it's certainly a mindset that people like Tim Ferriss advocate. So people that are very much focused around this new rich, it's not work, work, work for 40 years and then try and enjoy a little bit of retirement for 20 years on the money that you've saved. It's very much about, well, certainly Tim Ferriss advocates the mini retirements and the lifestyle, which is based around passion and enjoyment, it can really allow that. You know, you, you can... The laptop lifestyle, you can work from anywhere. You could be as effective anywhere because it's all about product development. It's all about how you see the business strategically working. And that's the passion that you've followed is helping and enabling school teachers and schools to benefit from your knowledge. And it's it's a massive, massive shift. And I think if I was, if I had children myself, I would be so pleased that they had the opportunity because like I said before, even even up until probably 10 years ago, that just wasn't mainstream, was it? It was just, it was almost a subculture. Exactly. And people just not realizing that the talents that children have and individuals have, uh, even if you look at the staff that we're working with now, we, we appoint people and very often they change their roles because we just try and work out, right, where's this person? Where's the ability of this person? Where are they going to best fit? And often these people don't realise what talents they've had because of the system that they've come through or the work they've come through. Uh, and that's also a massive... That was a real buzz I got also being a head teacher was when often you took a... It was sometimes a parent and you developed them as a person and just opened up their eyes to what they could be and the confidence grew and everything else grew. And uh, that was fantastic. Well, that's a side of education that I've never seen before. I've been through the system here in the UK and it's, as a child, you never see that. And I guess as a parent, you wouldn't see that unless you had a teacher or a head teacher like yourself that had that mindset. You know, the, the, it's, it's not about ticking the boxes and getting the passes. It's about developing the lifestyle, isn't it? And developing the person behind the numbers. And I think, is that a Cornerstones ethos before we sort of get to the story of Cornerstones? Is that, <laughs> is that a cornerstone of Cornerstones? Definitely. Uh, because the three directors, myself, Graham and Melanie, that's what we believe in. All teachers all believe in creativity and that the, it's the whole child, not just throwing out numbers. Yes, maths and literacy are absolutely key for anybody to have any uh, success. Uh, but they're not the be-all and end-all. That's 
an interesting point of view as well in terms of developing the children because I think overall the business community in general, if I'm a business owner and when, when we're talking to business owners on the whole, a lot of people do focus on their services and products but don't talk about developing value for the customers as such. It's all about what can I sell? How much can I sell it for and when can I sell it? And actually how much of it can I sell? It's not always about creating that extra value and creating that, I guess, the the mindset internally that we're here to service the customers. And I think the businesses that do that are the businesses that succeed very well. And at the end of the day, yes, the schools are your customers, but the children are the end users, aren't they? They're the people that really benefit from Cornerstones. If we have children that are loving our curriculum, the best thing is when we do go into schools and the kids are running up to you and saying, oh, I went to the school the other day and the kids uh, ran across the field and said, oh, is that Mr. Cornerstones? And it's that sort of enthusiasm that the curriculum has created in some children that makes it all worthwhile. And yes, as we started the business, we, we said we want quality to be right up there it's got to be aesthetically pleasing as well as the content being absolute the best we can possibly make it. We are perfectionists. We always try to make it better every time. And uh, that's where the company grew, grew from. Well, speaking of that growth, actually, and you did mention where, where Cornerstones started up from. Let's, let's just dial it back a little, I guess, and, and talk about the story of Cornerstones. Where did, where did the first seeds of the idea come from and how did that grow into what it is today? The seeds of the idea was uh, myself and thinking about what next. And then it was uh, my partner, Melanie, and Graham who worked uh, as advisors. And obviously, as you know, back in 2010, uh, most of the local authorities were just cutting advisors. So Melanie and uh, Graham were going to be made redundant at some point. So it was a case of uh, coming up with, well, well, we've got a lifestyle what do we enjoy? What are we, what are we good at? What do we believe in? And uh, at that point, I said, well, the only way we can sort of create something that we can enjoy working in would be to develop a, a curriculum and use our expertise. So we put our heads together and we talked about it. We discussed everything and all the research we'd all individually done or done together. And that's when we came up with the Cornerstones philosophy of Engage, Develop, Innovate, Express as what we see as the the cornerstones to learning and from that grew the idea of a curriculum and from that grew the curriculum which uh, we wrote uh, which was the uh, the first one before this new one that's been introduced in 2014 and it was all based on all the research we'd done and we looked into Reggio and uh, the likes of Ken Robinson uh, and other experts that had grabbed us through uh, through our careers and what we'd listened to teachers and uh, head teachers that we worked under, etc. And from there, it was right, we could produce this curriculum and that would probably give us the, uh, the gains to then be able to create a company and create something that could serve, first of all, us and then what we wanted as lifestyle while working within what we wanted to do and then possibly develop further. Oh, so it was very much around fulfilling a need in terms of a curriculum and providing an alternative, a viable alternative to what was already there, but then basing the entire company around that core product and developing on from there then. So that's, that's, that's quite interesting. So a lot of people have the idea of a business without really having any idea what they're going to be selling. And they, they change so quickly. You see the first year of business for a lot of companies 
when you speak to them six months in, they've changed wildly from what they were doing at day one. And is that, did you find that was something you guys had to deal with as you were going into schools and trying to sell version one of the curriculum or did it, did, did it sort of steady itself quite quickly? It steadied quite quickly. I think the key what for the business and make it so we didn't have to go and uh, take out loans and things like that was the fact that we had the idea of, well, if we can do this, if we can create this, that will be the market value and that will sustain at least the salaries that it needed to sustain. I, stay, I was staying as a head teacher. Uh, Melanie and Graham were obviously going to take uh, their redundancy, which would also tide them over for a short period of time while we just built the business, while we made sure we got the curriculum written, ready, published, to then we had done the calculations and said, well, if we sell this many, that will cover us. And then as we sold more and more, it was right, we can now grow, we can expand and uh, we were very fortunate people like Mick Waters offered us advice and uh, he puts in touch with somebody in Wales and that's when uh, it actually took off in Wales. So Wales was the, was the first market that, that took off for you then? Yes. All oh, right, okay, interesting. How how did you find that? Was it was there any rhyme or reason to that? Was it an introduction or was it the curriculum was better suited? What was the? It was an introduction by uh, Mick Waters uh, to uh, the Learning Partnership Wales uh, and we discuss, discussed things over uh, with them. And then it was about actually saying, well, let's tailor what we've written for England for Wales. And... Very few companies had done that in the past, but we took the time to do that and said, here you go, this is not just the English curriculum that you can use, this is for you, and we've written it for you. And we now have uh, over a third of uh, well schools using our curriculum, which is fantastic. That's some achievement. In, in, and I guess, specifically from a Welsh perspective, that happened quite early on, and I think... There must have been some kind of mindset challenge there when the Welsh curriculum, or when it appeared that the Welsh curriculum could do with some more TLC, when you made the decision to rewrite the English curriculum for Wales. Was that quite a scary undertaking, or was it something that felt natural? Did it did it appear to be something that was a bit too much of a mountain to get over? Or No, I've, uh, I've often been fly by the seat of my pants or go on gut feeling uh, about things. And the gut feeling was that was the right thing to do. And you could also, while you're on gut feelings, you've got to have that, you've got to have the cash flow in the back of your mind. You've got to have a, a thought of, right, if we create that, what will it give us? And it just seemed to fit and everything seemed that is the right move to, uh, to make. And it turned out that it was. Just interestingly then, I suppose, obviously you had two markets, didn't you? You had the English market and the Welsh market. How challenging was that as a startup and as a, as a business that was relatively small compared to what it is today? In fact, very small, isn't it, compared to what it is today? How challenging was it with dealing with two distinct markets with such a small team? Well, we made the decision to actually work with uh, the Learning Partnership in Wales and to say, right, we'd like you to promote our curriculum in Wales while we focused on building up in England because we knew England was going to be a slower burner. So we knew that would work. So we spent the time building up in England while we let uh, ad, formed a partnership with a company being able to just promote the, the curriculum in, 
in Wales. Ah, so you almost had a, a distribution network in Wales set up already yeah. for you then. That's fantastic. That diversification so early on must have given you a, a heck of a lot of confidence that the product that you had, you were onto something with it? Yes. How interesting was it from a competitor's perspective? What did that do to those guys? Did it ruffle any feathers and did you find any, was there any backdraft from any of that? Not massively, but IPC was probably one of the uh, one of a, the major uh, curriculum uh, competitors of ours, and they're deemed as a very big player uh, internationally, and they were in Wales as well, uh, as well as in England, and we are now pretty much on an even footing with them. Uh, when we first came in, it was like, well, their marketing was always a thousand schools. We're now at a thousand schools. Uh, which is uh, a nice position to be when back there we said, well, we will get there and we should be there in four or five years and, and we're there, which is nice. So you're a little bit in front of the targets, I guess, internally then. Is that is that another challenge? Is that another set of, I wouldn't say problems, but as someone that's come from being a head teacher and obviously dealing with multiple roles, being the social worker, being the teacher, being the shoulder to cry on to a degree, not only for staff, but for children as well. That's obviously one set of challenges. As you move through growth in a very rapidly growing company like Cornerstones, how do you deal with that growth sensibly? How do you approach that from a perspective of, well, wow, I need people, but I also need cash flow. And how's that maintained? It's having that strategic plan, but that doesn't mean reams and reams of paper with things written down on them. It means to have it in your head and then to be able to distill that through your team, whether that starts as it did with us of three uh, and uh, my sister as a non-exec uh, advisor or it's your team of now over 30 that we've got. So everybody's bought into the direction, the main priorities of the company and everything feeds back into that. Uh, so people can see it. It does get harder as you grow because it's not just a quick chat with two or three people. You've got to set up the systems then. And it's about now making sure those systems are robust enough so it, it can continue to, to grow and develop. And just to take that a step further, then what, what challenges do you find personally? Because you've obviously you switched from being a head teacher into being, I guess, the MD or certainly fulfilling a, a specifics of an MD role within a very small startup company to a company that employs 30 people. How has your role changed within that? Has it been very challenging for you to get your head around these other elements that require your attention? Yes, uh, I was doing, in essence, uh, at least a job and a half for a while. I'd negotiated with my governors to uh, be able to have some time uh, to build up cornerstones in the very initial stages. And then it got to the stage uh, last year when it was, my uh, well, last financial year, when it was, this is going a bit too much now for me to be able to do two jobs. And that's when I uh, left Headship uh, to come in full-time into Cornerstone so I could manage. Somebody said uh, as I was leaving, well, you can't, uh, you can't ride two horses with one arse. And for me, that was absolutely spot on. It was time to just ride one. And uh, the choice for me was Cornerstones. And now I'm able to sort of have the time to look at everything and to see the staff, which is a huge thing, to actually develop staff, to be working with staff, to be listening to staff, and then to be managing the finances of a company, because that's huge. If you haven't got a tight control of the finances of a company, and when I'm talking to other people, 
and uh, even in successful business it's quite scary sometimes the limited knowledge they have of how it all can impact and that's obviously where a lot of businesses in the early stages just fall because they've not managed cash flow for instance that's really interesting that because i find that very very admirable considering i mean I, i'm not very up on what a head teacher's role is day to day and i i always wonder for someone like yourself that's made that jump from head teacher into running a business, you're obviously very, very savvy with the cash flow side, the finances, the business planning, the strategy side. How much of that expertise has come from being a head teacher and how much of it have you had to learn very, very quickly then? As a deputy and a head teacher, you're involved in a, in, in a budget and you're always dealing with, and it varies, an average school now, the budget is probably a million pound. Uh, and so you do get that uh, some training uh, is usually uh, on the ground training uh, and I've always had quite an analytical mind and then it was when I was looking at the uh, at businesses I was looking at what models were out there how it could be developed and it's the classic of uh, what happens is somebody will show uh, us at Cornerstone something will say well how can we make that better uh, so when I was looking at things and people were showing me cash flow things and I'd always be looking at it and say, well, yeah, but how would you make it better? How would you improve it and fit it into my own uh, my own brain and how my own brain works uh, so I could see things and monitor things and that's what we did. That sounds really interesting. As I say, it's, it's not something that, as a business owner myself, you, you you do find yourself having to learn on the fly quite a lot and you, you see challenges and issues every single day that crop up that require your attention and you're always picking up tips and tricks and ways to get around these things. So I found it really interesting to hear that, that as a head teacher, you do almost come with some training already because that's something that I would never have appreciated. I would never have guessed that, to be honest. Um, let's just talk about Cornerstones as is now then for a second. What What's the current status of the product range? Because obviously you mentioned earlier on stepping from, was it version one of the English curriculum up to version two, the 2014 curriculum. What does the product and service range look like right now for Cornerstones? We're very, uh, in some ways, got a real opportunity with, uh, there is a new curriculum, a national curriculum that's been, uh, become a statute uh, this September. So we were able to look at our version one and think, well, how could we make that better? Which we're always going to do anyway. But on the back of that, there was going to be a requirement for a new national curriculum in all schools that are non-academy in September, uh, this September. So we were able to listen to what schools have fed back to us about our uh, current uh, curriculum and say, right, well, what do we think? What would we do now that make it even better? So we made decisions uh, well over a year ago now of how we would rewrite our curriculum and then spent the time doing that and uh, we actually finished it and that got published uh, in June uh, this year, ready for schools uh, to start uh, in September. Uh, so that's our main product, but from that grows everything else because what uh, schools cry out for is resources. And we completely uh, are against worksheets as such, where children just fill in worksheets. I was horrified when uh, my youngest son used to come on, he used to uh, judge how bad his day had been by how many worksheets he had to do and uh, we're completely against that children should be immersed in the learning so we've also uh, worked alongside DMSQD to make sure we can create a hub 
which in essence is a platform for teachers to actually have forums on there to be able to uh, communicate, but then also to have curriculum resources uh, because technology is huge now uh, for people to be able to access things like videos online that we we can create, uh, but other just proper resources like for teachers. They're not resources where children can fill in sheets. They're for teachers to support the learning within the classroom or visuals for the children to inspire, to engage them. Uh, I just saw one the other night where it's all the facts about dinosaurs and we've managed to get a pterodactyl to look as if it's uh, uh, flying. (laughs) But it's those sort of things that we know as teachers will grab children. And so being able to create a platform like that and then from there you've got the, the additional products when you're looking at assessment or skills, they all come together, or the uh, the tools that uh, actually teachers need, such as the uh, uh, a coverage checker was created, so teachers can quickly go online and interactive and check where the coverage is. It done, tick tick tick. Yes, it is. Right, peace of mind. So that's all added value. That sounds. I mean, having worked on the hub with you guys, it, I can I I can vouch for it looking fantastic, but. We see that from a digital end. We see that from a functionality perspective. And I know the feedback that you're just giving there about it being so useful for teachers, you know, that comes from the teachers' mouths themselves. And I'm really interested in that added value that you guys are wanting to provide because as a business, it must be rather difficult. And certainly as someone that's helming the business, it must be quite difficult to think, well, look, I need to invest all of this time in all of this added value when my core product is right over here. And... A lot of business seems, sorry, excuse me, a lot of businesses seem to have the knee-jerk reaction that if you're not selling your core product, if you're not working on your core product, then you're almost doing the wrong thing. So is that challenging from your perspective? Is there anything that you can advise on for other businesses that might be thinking about investing in added value? It's a balance. Uh, it's getting trying to get the balance as right as you possibly can uh, because it's about sustainability as well. You've got to make sure that it doesn't become a thing of the past. What I've seen happen many, many times in schools is a product will come into a school and it creates a buzz. And all of a sudden, everybody is doing it within the school. They're all believing it. And then, all of a sudden, without even knowing, it becomes, oh, that's something that we did. And it's gone. What we want to try and do is the our whole company is based on the philosophy is we want that to become embedded in a school made bespoke to the school because our curriculum it isn't an off the shelf here you go you do this you look at page one you do page one and move to page two this is something that gives schools a framework to develop their own unique curriculum because and their own unique provision because that's what they should be doing we just give them the framework to help them and support that so we want cornerstones to become embedded and part of what they do, not just for a term, not for a year, not for two years, but ongoing. And the way to do that is to keep reinvigorating it with new products, more functionality, systems that they're always going back to, such as the hub, which will hopefully become just invaluable to teachers when they're planning, when they're thinking about the work, when they're looking for resources to support their teaching. And then Cornerstone just becomes a way for them to make sure learning is even better in the school. The key thing that I take from that as a business owner is that it's not 
It's not about creating something that benefits you as such, is it? It's about creating something that helps everyone else and adds the value within direct benefits to you. So as you say, embedding Cornerstone so deeply into those schools is of course going to benefit the business over the long term, but it's not it's not necessarily goal one, goal two, goal three. Goal one is to help solve this problem that teachers have. Goal two is to help solve this problem that teachers have. And by doing all of these things, you, by virtue of doing that, become embedded within that school. I think that's a massive lesson that a lot of businesses can draw from. Yes, we like we spend a lot of money on development, and we spend money. And some, uh, I'm sure that in the future we'll develop some things that don't are not successful. But you have to do that to try and serve your customers' needs and what they are asking for, what they want, so that then you do maintain as well. Cornerstones providers this, and then this, mm-hmm. and then this. It's not just a one hit. There you go. You buy that, and then we're out and you want to build that relationship. Right at the start, we said we want to be where we've got a relationship with schools. I think that's a a solid retention strategy as well that a lot of businesses, again, sometimes fall foul of because they're so focused on the sales that they forget to retain the current customers, don't they? And especially when it's a service-driven industry, the retention of the customers sometimes does fall by the wayside in the pursuit of new value from brand new customers. That's... That's exactly right. We made a big decision uh, with the English market uh, because what we uh, did, we got to a point where they were announcing a new national curriculum in England uh, and we were obviously still selling our first version of the curriculum. We made a decision as a board at that point that we would update for free to the new national curriculum. We didn't know how extensive that update was going to be at that point because uh, the rumours from the government it was it's not going to be massive but then there was a change in government and that led to an absolutely huge change around the national curriculum so it wasn't really an update it was a completely revised curriculum mm. but we honoured that what we said to our schools and all those schools received a completely in essence totally different brand new curriculum for free Could you have made the decision feasibly not to do that as a business could you would you have been within your rights to say well look v1 is done version two is now this and it costs x amount would that how would that have impacted your relationship with the schools overall it's the ethics of it and business there is ethics in as far as i'm concerned in business and you've got to make moral judgments and ethical judgments about at what point with a curriculum curriculums are always changing new governments come in and they change things we are a business and we have to think right at what point do we stop selling? The Welsh curriculum now is under review. We're just making that decision now that we are not going to sell our current version to schools because we don't exactly know when the new Welsh curriculum will come in and we don't want schools to have bought it and two, three months down the line, all of a sudden, this being told that, well, next September, that curriculum is going to be, in essence defunct the lesson that can be taken from all that is really really valuable in that the the retention strategy is it's just purely honesty isn't it it's just look we're here to be a partner to you guys yes we are a business and yes of course we do charge for the services but we are a partnership it's not a master servant it's not you need us therefore we will continue to sell everything for you at a premium Uh, that that's a really valuable thing and i think a lot of businesses forget that certainly the businesses who are 
in a somewhat fortunate position where they are needed by their customers. You know, you've only got to look at people, and this is on a, on a wildly, a wildly sort of elevated scale, but people like BT and British Gas and all the utilities companies, they know that they've got you and insurance companies. They don't trade on those ethics, do they? And I think as a business that does what Cornerstones does, that's so, so refreshing and so good to see that... I have no doubt in my mind that it must be serving you guys really well and you must have some confidence that it's going to stand you in some good stead moving forward. Yes, and uh, it will be a real test with the Welsh schools how that goes, but we think being upfront and honest with them, saying that there is a change, we're not going to continue to sell this, will stand us in good stead when we say, right, but here's our version two and away you, uh, would you like to purchase that? And hopefully they'll say, well, yeah, because you stopped selling the old one, so we weren't almost tricked into getting that one. And now you're offering us a, a much improved product. Some of the schools have been using it now for three, uh, nearly four years. And so uh, often a curriculum does have a life of about three, four, five years anyway. And uh, we just want them to be repeat customers mm-hmm. and happy repeat customers. That happiness, is a, is, that's a real key thing that I want to touch upon, actually, because you mentioned the hub. And obviously there's a coverage checker as well, which are both added value bits of software that people can use, teachers can use, and you know, guys within schools overall, head teachers can use. How do you balance as a business all of the voices, all of the people shouting at you saying that they need this and they want that and they're desperate for this? How do you balance out what you guys pursue in terms of development with the things that perhaps aren't as urgent? It's difficult at times because, uh, as anybody knows, uh, if you can speak to 100 people and 99 say, oh, you're doing a brilliant job, and one says, we don't like this, it's the one that doesn't like it that sticks and hurts and you think about. What we have to do is believe in who we are, what we are, and our experience and knowledge and think, no, we think that's what schools need, but then also listen to really respected head teachers that we're working with to say, is this right? Do you think this is right? And when they say, no, we're not so sure, we take that on board rather than just listening to absolutely everybody or trying to filter out everybody. We've got a few very much trusted friends who will tell us honestly, and it's about listening to those and then believing in ourselves and that we do, we from the industry, and that's where it's all come from. We are, we, we're still teachers. We are teachers. We've been teachers for many, many years. So we do know what's required in the classrooms. And then we stay up to date by, we've just recently employed uh, a deputy head teacher. We've, we're going to employ another head teacher in, uh, in January because they bring that real fresh experience of what well, we've done cornerstones in the school. And uh, we often see them if we're looking at a product what do you think to this? How would that have worked in your school? Because they were working there a week ago or a month ago, so they know. How do those challenges regarding recency of experience manifest? Do they manifest? So you talked there about employing a head that, that is going to start in, it was it January, wasn't it? And Will that add the air of freshness, as you mentioned? And if so, how do the current employees at Cornerstones, how do they kind of deal with being out of a school? You personally, how do you deal with being out of a school? Is there a challenge in keeping up to date with that? Or have, have you that much experience that things just are as they are? 
again, things do change in education, but things don't change. And it's keeping, in some ways, your hand in by your discussions that you have uh, with head teachers, by getting into schools and seeing things. Uh, by obviously, I've got some friends and colleagues who are head teachers, uh, so I, I get to know the the little tidbits and the things that are happening. There's now social media where you can uh, you can get what's happening with the DFE very easily. Uh, BBC Educational Site, and it always it comes through to your phone. It's there, and then you can make one phone call and say, "Oh, what's this? I've not, I didn't know about that." And you you'll be told about it by a, a head teacher that you respect and trust. Uh, so you do keep your hand in with that, but also then working with colleagues who are coming out of school, they keep you fresh as well. Uh, so there is a balance. Uh, with our customers, we always know if we go in front of a, uh, a staff in school, the first question they'll ask is, well, what do you know about it? And as soon as you say, well, I was a head teacher or I was a teacher, we know, and that's why we, we on the whole, people who are going out into schools, they're either ex-teachers or ex-head teachers or deputy heads because they often or they've taught children in some uh, in some shape or form because that gives them some gravitas when they stand in front of teachers and say I've been there I know what you we're doing we understand it it's that direct alignment isn't it I would imagine that one of the barriers to any kind of sales into any school is that is this guy is this lady a salesman mm. And if they can align with people like Graham, like yourself, and whoever else is out there selling cornerstones, instantly that's that barrier broken down, isn't it? The ice is broken and you can almost have the little in-jokes that only teachers have. I would imagine that's how it plays out quite yes, a lot. Definitely, because, you know, and the, the anecdotes, they, they ring true with the staff. So you can be in front of a staff and you can say, they think, oh, yeah, that's like little Johnny in my class. <laughs> and they can see it and they can see that that's where we come from. The flip side to that is as we do become a bigger business, we were always a business at the start, but we get seen more as a business. And uh, so sometimes, and businesses aren't always viewed well by teachers and head teachers because they're not in the business industry. I can, I can imagine that when budgets are so, I wouldn't say tightly controlled, but so tightly scrutinised within a school, not only from within the school, but obviously from the parents of the children as well, that any time you seem to be dealing with a business can be quite difficult for schools. So that must be a challenge, balancing cornerstones as a value add for the teachers versus cornerstones, the business. Yeah, and that's why we uh, have all, and still will always think about pricing. And we try, we actually, uh, a head teacher said to me the other day, you are ridiculously low with the cost because he's now been running it actually in Wales he's been running it for one of the first schools in Wales so over three years now and he said he actually worked out how it's impacted on all the children that have been through and if you weigh that up against the cost of it it is absolute peanuts but we've always believed that schools won't make that leap if you charge too much we wanted our curriculum in as many schools as possible uh, for several reasons uh, you talk about retention of customers but you also talk about we want the philosophy out there and being enjoyed by the, by the children and it's that balance between overpricing and getting it right people are very keen on the value for money aren't they they don't mind paying for something but likewise if they're making a leap from x to y from from an old curriculum into cornerstones and i would imagine that especially back when version one was still very new that 
the pricing must have been a serious, serious consideration when weighed against the fact that Cornstones was so new. You yes. know, it must have been a real challenge on that front. And as you know, as, as, your, as your name increases and you've got now we can, uh, if a scoring's up, uh, it's not, we can say, well, speak to this head, this head. They'll say, we, the first question often is, well, whereabouts are you from? And there'll be a school most likely down the road that they could speak to and uh, and find out how's it working in that school. Whereas when we first started, it was right, well, there's one, maybe two schools utilising it. And so it was that leap of faith and therefore you've got to look at the price uh, and get that about right. Uh, because you have your real innovative uh, head teachers who just say, I like it, I'm going to do it. Uh, whereas the others are a bit more reserved and uh, when they're spending, obviously, what's public money. All right, that's, that's Cornerstones as is for now then. That's sort of where you've come from as a business. What does the future hold for the business? What's the next two, three years look like? Uh, next two or three years is the growth in England. Uh, it's uh, That's what we're looking at uh, because there's, uh, I think it's about 17,000 uh, schools in England. Uh, so we have to look at growth in England uh, this new curriculum now is, in essence is really only launching this September so we want to see right what can we do how many schools how the word of mouth now going to spread is it going to spread like it's spread in Wales and can we then also develop those additional products to go along with it and that support element through the technology through the online resources uh, and the uh, the hub that will really create a buzz going around where people are they're actually talking to each other on the wall the forums are being developed through the hub uh, just to support teaching in school and that if we get that right we know for a fact that we'll hit the targets of turnover and profit and everything else uh, because that does fo uh, follow and but to be able to manage that means the expansion of the business and that's what we've had to uh, uh, now really look at, look at the finances, look at where we're going with this other size. We're appointing a couple uh, additional people. We're taking on a customer service manager early September uh, that will then manage not just one, two, but it will be a team that they'll be managing. And it's that expansion. Uh, just the curriculum team has grown from uh, basically Melanie uh, who was there writing the curriculum on her own and now you're talking about 16, 17 people yeah. all working on producing those things that schools do want because we've had to put in the expertise such as the science, the ICT, the maths just to make sure it's as best as it possibly can be. That's a lot of challenges for the next two years. Then I can see the team growing and growing and growing. The, the customer, excuse me, the customer service element is extremely interesting to me because that's something that, again, a lot of businesses really allow to fall by the wayside. They don't really focus a lot of the time on customer service because it's not always a direct reflection onto the bottom line. It's very much around service and retention and putting out the fires that can cause the problems versus selling widgets, isn't it? It's, that must take some serious consideration from a management team to start to put that layer of service in. It's massive. As I said, right from the start, we said we wanted to be, be seen as uh, as a friendly face, as people they can talk to, to, to ring up. We've always been overtaken on staff. We've made sure they can talk to schools. We've made sure they were immersed in the product that they understood the product. So, and now uh, they can almost, you, you ring through the office and quite often I listen to people and say, wow, they really understand this product. They really do get it. Uh, 
And it's about creating a team that understands that, understands the product, therefore starts to understand the customer. And because you do have to invest the finances into it, but that's part of your marketing because your marketing becomes your customer services. And so you're actually doing most of your marketing through your customer services. Marketing doesn't sit on its own separately. It is all, it's integral to the whole business. And I think that's what's becoming clearer to me now as the business moves forward of how important that is, how important it is to to get it right. And yeah, there will be problems, there will be issues, but as long as you find a solution, usually... 90%, 90%, if not 99% of customers will go away happy and say, well, I had a problem, but they sorted it for me. And that's what we aim to do. Well, that's fantastic. And, and talking about cornerstones in that light is, is, is fantastic. It's really good to see a business that's found its niche, that's found its voice, that's found its passion and continues to deliver the value every single day and is growing so well. But is also taking on board what the users want and what the end users and, and everyone involved with the other side of Cornerstones needs to get from Cornerstones. That's so refreshing because, as I say, a lot of businesses are so internalised they don't quite see that. So that's that's fantastic and very, very admirable. So let's put a pin in Cornerstones for now and let's talk about Simon Hickton, the former head teacher who is now the... Is it Managing Director? Am I right in saying so? That's the official title, The yeah. MD of Cornerstones. How's that affected you? How's that affected your life and your mindsets and your work-life balance? Massively. Uh, my whole family were relieved when I said, I'm leaving Headship and I'm going to go with Cornerstones. Uh, I think my mum was first well, worried, can you afford that? Uh, and is that all right? So I reassured my mum. But uh, they felt that it was the right decision because they could see how it was draining me, in essence, doing at least one and a half jobs, working all hours, uh, uh, God's ends. And... It's just enabled me that time to focus on one thing. Uh, when your your brain becomes uh, a little bit scattergun because you're trying to do so much. So leaving headship, it was good. I was able to put that uh, into a position where I could leave it. I felt I could leave it and it was that classic of, right, job done there. Now I can move forward. So it's just enabled that bit of clarity. Uh, it's been mental. Uh, I came on board at the massive busy time. It was a case, well, I really do need to come on board because it is so busy right now. Uh, we very much have a very busy time of year, uh, of year from really March right through to July. And then it dips again and then builds again for the following year. Uh, so it will be nice to get to order through September, October and just see, well, can I get that balance uh, right with uh, work life? Uh, as we talk about work life, that's the interesting thing that you alluded to earlier, uh, Mark, if you're not seeing it as work. And uh, I, I joked with a few people and said I, I seem to have a work-work balance at some point. And I did manage it with Cornerstones and school as well. But then when Cornerstones began to explode, that's when it became too much. And it would have certainly been just work-work and no life at all. So now I've definitely got cornerstones and I'm building a life balance. As I've said, I've got uh, Melanie's a partner and three boys. And when you dive into three football matches in one day uh, to watch them all play, it can be uh, tricky. Uh, but cornerstones, being the MD, being the uh, a director, enables them that flexibility to say, well, I'm leaving at two o'clock. Yeah. And that's 
fantastic. That was fantastic part of uh, in any business and weighing up. Is that what I want to do? Can I do it? And I can. And uh, there's never any question because people, as a head teacher, people always knew I put in the hours mm. massively. Whether it be one o'clock in the till one o'clock in the morning, or up at five o'clock in the morning. Uh, and it's the same at Cornerstones, but I've got that flexibility of if I need an afternoon off, uh, especially for my uh, family, I will take that afternoon off. That is so, so valuable, that personal time and the mindset that you can take the time because you know you'll put it back in or you've already put it in and you're taking it back in kind. It's such a a tough mentality to get your head around. I, I sort of struggle with that myself in that I, I, I found that for the first two or three years of this business, I had to be there all of the time, 14, 15, 16 hour days. And you don't mind it on a, on a project. I mean, we've worked on projects together where we've been phoning each other at 10.30, sometimes 12 a.m., you know, on a night. And it's, you don't mind doing that because you believe in it, you enjoy it, it's a passion. But you do know that you can, put, you can cut it back if you need to leave at lunchtime one day. It's fine, isn't it? It's, it's such a strong mindset to have. And it's difficult. And because it does, it can become all consuming. And I know uh, there's times when uh, Melanie look at me and say, will you please put that laptop down? And, but there again, laptop on while Coronation Street's on. I prefer to have the laptop on. It's no great loss, is it? No, it's not. <laughs> so uh, I, uh, now and again, I will say, right, I actually want to watch this on TV or let's go and do something. So then it does, it gets shut down. But as we said, I'm often at times, I'm, I'm playing. Uh, if I'm, it's exciting for me, I'm seeing something. When the hub was launched, it was exciting to see how that was growing, how it was being developed. And uh, so that for me wasn't work. It was the same as somebody who might sit and they might be on a computer game. Mm. Uh, it's that same sort of thing. I would much prefer to be doing uh, what I was doing than being sat on a on a computer game. So that's how it is. It sounds as if you are certainly very, very passionate about Cornerstones and everything that goes on around Cornerstones, not just in the daily nine to five, but everything around it. And it's brilliant to see that you've made that jump and you're so confident in it and everything's going so well and that you, you're actually loving it daily. You know, it doesn't seem like a bind to you. So if there are people listening out there who are thinking about making this move themselves, a lot of people sat there doing the nine to five. What would be your advice to those guys? Look at your lifestyle. Look at what responsibilities you've got because that's the, that's the key factor that you've got to factor into it. And then it's about looking about what you enjoy doing, what gives you a buzz. Then could that be a job? Could that make you a, a living? Could that make give you the required returns to support your lifestyle and your responsibilities? If it could, then start thinking about how you could get into that because the chances are you could make it work because you would enjoy doing it. We've appointed people who have definitely said, I cannot believe the difference. I now love coming to work. And that's what you need to do for yourself. You know, say, what would I be able to do where I would love going to work or at least I wouldn't mind going to work? Uh, I don't like getting up in the morning, but it doesn't take me long to think, oh, yeah, and I'm not thinking all day. Oh, no. So that would be my look at your lifestyle, look at your responsibilities, then look what your natural abilities are. Just like you would hopefully, and a teacher would hopefully say to a child who's thinking about careers, what are you good at? Right. Then try and guide them into how that, that could 
turn into a role, into a job, and then where's the requirements and does it give that re- return? I think that's very solid advice as well. It's something that I wish someone had told me a long time ago because it's something that not a lot of people find the confidence to do, isn't it? They don't have that. They don't know the steps that they need to take. And very often it is just about writing down the responsibilities. And what's the worst that can happen? Well, the worst is I probably end up back where I am now. You know, the, the things generally aren't that bad when you look at them in, in the right light, are they? Well, that's exactly right, because when we looked at it with, uh, with Cornerstones, we looked at what, the, uh, what we would have to try and earn, uh, especially in the first instance, it was for Graham and Melanie, because we set out and said, well, in my mindset, we had to earn enough to cover their current salaries that we were getting as advisors. Mm-hmm. And if we did that, I was still a head teacher. I could keep things working in the background and ticking in the background. And if we served Mel- uh, Melanie and Graham salaries, that was step one. Worst case scenario, we didn't do that. It was a case right, okay, they'd have had to go back into teaching, whether that was supply or an, another advisory role or independent consultants. So that was the backup plan. Mm. So it was like, this is what we're aiming to do first. And yes, we've got the vision of we want a turnover of X, Y, Z. Mm. And that's where we're aiming for. But that's the minimum. Mm. And now when I set targets and uh, when I set uh, uh, sit down with Graham and we um, have a bit of back and forth about what targets we set in. Uh, I always have that. It's the expected, the challenging, mm. and uh, then the aspirational ones. Mm. And uh, so that's how the business has grown. Mm. And uh, that's what I think anybody who's about to make the jump, well, what do you actually need? What could you cut back on? And what would your backup plan be? Mm. And often people could even walk back into the job that they're leaving. Mm. So why don't you just give it a shot? That's a fantastic place to put a pin in that, actually. You should do this professionally. You could take over my job. I don't think so. No, that's fantastic, honestly. And I'm absolutely positive that there is much more that we can talk about. But I think that's some very sage advice to finish the episode on. So, thank you very much, sir. It's been a pleasure to have you. It's uh, it's always good to talk to a like-minded professional and, and chat through some of the challenges that I face and that we face together. So, thank you very much. Thank you, Mark. Right, guys, that is the end of episode nine of Excellence Expected. Thank you very much for listening. If you do enjoy the show, head on over to iTunes or Stitcher and leave us a very, very honest review. I would love it if you'd get involved over there. If you have anything to say to Simon, then by all means, head on over to excellence-expected.com and get involved on the comments. Whilst you're over there, don't forget you can sign up for a copy of my free ebook, which will teach you how to gain at least one more hour every single day to carry out the things that you would like to enjoy. That's it for now, folks. And don't forget, the more you expect from yourself, the more you will excel. Until next time, take care.